I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I wanted to say a special thank you to Nathan Potter for being on the episode uh, last week or two weeks ago. I don't know exactly when this is going to be going up, but uh, we had a great conversation about the nature of forgiveness. I recognize that there was not a lot of movie talk in there, but uh, I do think the conversation was very important, and uh, hopefully you guys got something out of it. Um, So today, we're going to be talking with uh, a filmmaker who's across the pond. All right. He's, uh, you know, a hundred years ago, we'd be enemies. I don't know if that's actually true. Look, I'm not a history buff. Um, but, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I believe it was two years ago that I met this gentleman at the international Christian film festival. He was, uh, he was there classing up the joint and winning some award or, or another. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And, and since then uh, we've been Facebook friends and con- and talking every once in a while. Um, and, uh, I've been able to keep an eye on what he's been up to and it is, uh, Andreas Kranzler. That, okay. All right. Got it. Uh, yeah. Uh, Andreas, how you doing? I'm very well. Thank you so much. So already people are, th- are saying, Hey, that's an interesting accent. Where yeah. is he from? Uh, so that even that is a little bit complicated, but originally, okay. or I was born and raised in Germany. Okay, and then, but you're not in Germany now. No, now uh, after like lots of detours and having lived in Australia for a while, in okay. Japan and in England, I'm now in Switzerland. Why did you go to all those places? I'm not judging you, even though my tone suggests I am. Why did you? You know, <laughs> what, what do you? What do you have to prove? What are you doing? Ah, so. Yeah, it was somewhat like work related, although I never like had a job in advance. So most like I went out to those places, had a feeling that that's the next next place to go to and then um, got a job quite quickly there and stayed there for some years um, until I felt it's time again to pick up the tent and move on to the next place. That's interesting. So you're just, you're genuinely like an itinerant. You're just bouncing from one place to another, uh, though you do have a family. Yes. Uh, and uh, did you move them around with you as well? Or is this, yes. is this beforehand? Okay, you took them. No, that was even with the family. So yeah, we have uh, three kids, a beautiful wife, and they, uh, two of them have been born in Australia and one was born in England. Oh, man. Who's like, how are they going to run for president or prime minister or whatever? Like I know, having lived all, very all over the place. So I guess they'll just have to give up a life in politics. Yeah. Um, so uh, just a heads up, everybody, uh, in case you're, you're wondering, um, we're record because of the time difference. We're recording this later than I usually do. And I did just have a cup of coffee. Uh, so my energy level, I won't say it's high because my energy level is never high, but it is weird. So I'm sorry, everyone. Uh, I apologize. Uh, 
I'm not, I'm not trying to actively make fun of Andreas's life choices. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so, okay. But you currently live in Switzerland. Whereabouts yeah. in Switzerland? In Zurich. In Zurich. I've been to Zurich uh, in, nice in 2013. Um, my, my wife have, and I have visited uh, several places all around uh, this world. And uh, when asked what place would we mo- what place that have we visited with that we would most like to live in, uh, Switzerland, uh, either, Zur- either Zurich or Lucerne. Yeah. Um, really beautiful places. I love them. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, how long have you been in Zurich? Uh, almost three and a half years now. Okay. Do you, I mean, you know, it sounds like you're, you're where you're going to be until you're not there anymore. Uh, do you, do you think you're going to be there for the foreseeable future? Yeah, definitely. Like we love it here. Uh, great opportunities to work here. Um, the kids love it here. And after the last move, there was a bit unsettling for them. So we uh, realized that we definitely need to, uh, press pause on that and like give them some time to I don't know take roots or something like that um, no. until we even consider moving on. Uh, so at the moment, there's nothing in the future um, that we're considering. Okay, uh, well that's that's exciting because uh, I'm very curious to find out about the various the you know the different film industries that you've been a part of uh, in some capacity. But first, I want to find out a little bit about uh, your your background. Uh, where I mean, you're from Germany initially, yeah. um, but also just from a from a spiritual standpoint, and then the yeah. offshoot of that is from an artistic standpoint. Yeah. Because I'm sure I'm not uh, saying anything new. Maybe it is just the United States, but I don't think so. That there is a tendency in Christian circles uh, for people to be raised in an environment that is not necessarily conducive to artistic expression. Mm-hmm. Um, often there's some suspicion there. Um, yeah. And then I myself, the, 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 the term that I've been using is movie positive. My, my parents were extremely movie positive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was curious to know like uh, your upbringing from a spiritual standpoint and then an artistic one as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's really funny because um, kind of the complete opposite or similar probably to your upbringing then, but to what many people, especially in the U S experience, I come from a creative artistical family. Mm-hmm. Um, and my parents have been like back in the olden days, like hippies then became Christians. Um, they were very open-minded and like my grandpa already was an actor. My dad was a photographer, uh, chief editor, um, actor as well. Um, drummer, uh, graphic designer, and like lots of creative jobs, and like literally the weirdest thing. Or like we would have had discussions around the dinner table if I told them I want to be a banker. They would have sure, like yeah, job choice that they would not have approved of, or at least like challenged me on. Hey, will you really be fulfilled with something like that? Will it right. really do something like for you and for your soul? Um, so yeah, so it was kind of like always in my path that I would probably go down even in school like my teachers knew that about me so I was always cast for the school like theater plays and groups and things like that and um, did like specifically well in those subjects anyway so um, it was um, kind of like clear and then I did the rebellious thing and at some point like um, just after high school decided hey I tried to learn like a normal kind of job and studied <laughs> uh, physical therapy for a few semesters um, just to like try that out i guess um and it was actually like not too bad i um 
passed like my uh, halfway exams and stuff like that, and then um, realized again, I okay, no, it's it's cool that I tried that. Now I know that uh, that's not my path, um, and go back to um, doing creative work. Boy, that is, you don't get more opposite than that uh, as far as the places that I've lived. And uh, and again, like, yeah, I, I, I myself was a very creative kid. My parents weren't necessarily that, but they weren't opposed to it either. Uh, so when I, when I pursued theater and, and writing and that kind of thing, they were all for it. But you hear so much from people whose parents like they they really emphasize which is which i find it almost ironic actually in a christian situation where we are uh, trying to be reliant on god and yet Mm -hmm. there's such an emphasis on stability yeah such an emphasis on well you got to make sure you know you don't want to take any risks you don't want to you don't want to spend years pursuing this thing and it doesn't happen uh which i and i find it very interesting and a little bit disheartening when I hear that sort of thing. So, yeah, with you, your uh, your rebellious phase was uh, uh, a consistent, stable job. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, and so, when the time came and you decided, look, physical therapy is not for me. I don't want to make people feel physically better. Um, in fact, <laughs> I want to I want to make them feel emotionally worse, as all artists exactly. do. Exactly. Um, so, uh, what uh, when the time came and you decided to pursue. Uh, like an artistic endeavor, it sounds like you had a, you had a history already in sort of the dramatic arts. Yes. Um, and so did, did you just feel like, okay, I'm just going to go back to that. I'm going to pursue filmmaking and drama and acting and writing and all that stuff. Uh, was it as clear cut as that? Or did you decide, did you kind of arrive there eventually? Now was, I did arrive there eventually or I like tried like quite a few things and at mm-hmm. the beginning, especially like in my youth and um, yes, early adulthood, I was mostly like an actor did, did like I studied acting, um, did like quite a bit of acting, mostly theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what really brought me actually back into the arts was then that um, I got offered the opportunity to direct a um, short film um, for a Christian organization and um, first actually declined because I've never like did any directing before and like didn't I don't know see myself as a director um, but then did it like after all and it was a really good experience it was really well received I really enjoyed the work and really realized that especially in the Christian world in Europe there's a huge vacuum when it comes to like storytellers or directors. There were some actors around, some really good ones, but um, not many people that really took and told like the story or really like made projects happen. So most of those actors then as well were kind of like sitting around and mostly just doing um, or having, which is not a bad thing anyways, but having to right. do, like secular gigs because there was like no good Christian opportunities around anyways. So I really also saw kind of the gap there um, so really felt like the right place, right time, and then opportunities. Basically, after that, like I instantly got two offers uh, for like commercial work. Um, had to found my own little company and able to be like in order to be able to write um, invoices and like yeah. hire some people, like freelancers, to work with me on those gigs. Um, and then yeah, kind of like just went on and took off from there. You know, you mentioned the, the, I mean, the, the sort of the Christian film or the Christian arts community, but I'm curious actually about the Christian community in general, you know, so the the majority of my listeners are 
in the United States, not all of them, but most of them. And, you know, you hear about the state of the church, and I don't mean the Catholic church. I mean, just like the state of the church, which is say Christendom, uh, in Europe in general. Now, of course, I recognize that Europe is not its own country. There are a number of smaller countries, but you he- you hear about it being, as a, as a culture in general, you hear it being uh, kind of secularized, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was curious, and I don't know if that's actually true or not, based on some anecdotal evidence, it sounds like it is. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I also talk to people and it sounds like there are certain communities or certain pockets mm-hmm. that, are, that are thriving. Yeah. And so I would, ask, I, would, I would ask you, like, what's, how would you, des- how would you describe the, the, the Christian community, I guess in Europe in general? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I guess you've lived in Germany and Switzerland, uh, UK. So you have, you have some, some sense of the, the larger, uh, the larger continent. So I was just curious to know, uh, how you would describe that. Yeah. So a huge part of like those claims that the, the church is on the decline in Europe and it's some like secularized comes from that lots of countries in Europe have still the state churches, um, which is like uh, Catholic or, uh, evangelical and or like i guess lutheran um and those churches uh historically you're born into so your grandparents and parents have been part of that church so when you're born you're automatically a member which also means that as soon as you have any income seven percent of that um get deducted out of your salary so you don't do that you never see that that goes straight Hmm. out of your salary to the church um which made the church in europe for a long time very very prosperous um because like all this money was kind of like just coming in um and in the past it was still like that like traditional uh, christianity where you might not actually yourself really believe in that stuff and not really go and attend a church anyways so all those uh, huge cathedrals have been empty already for decades but the people were still in there because their grandparents were still in the church and if they would have left the church like the the priest or pastor would instantly have told their grandparents who would have been <laughs> called the parents or them and t- told them off for that so people were reluctant to make that step so even though it meant seven percent of their income still went to the church they still they stayed in there just to avoid conflict and um like by now most of those grandparents started to die away so there was really no reason anymore for those people who have never attended the church anyways to still stay in that church and pay those seven percent so over the past years or the like very past decade um more and more people like started to then officially leave that church not Mm -hmm. wanting to pay this money anymore but they've never been part of the church anyways so lots of those state churches then now say oh it's so bad the church is on the decline and things like that but I mean, the attendance hasn't changed. Just the amount of money probably the state church gets has changed, Hmm. Um, which seems to be hurting more than uh, the lack of attendance before. So that's the thing. Um, But there is lots of free churches as well, which would be like your Pentecostal, um, Baptist churches, churches like that. Um, And lots of them are striving. So lots of them are growing, um, are doing well, are doing like things for the community, are more modern, um, have, I mean, the bigger it gets, the more structure there is, but usually like less of a structure than the state churches um, are more open. Also, like when it comes to, they're they're all very, very different. But yeah, so some of them are definitely doing really well. 
but those numbers are like because lots of them don't have necessarily membership they have attendance but it's harder for them especially in very bureaucratic countries uh, like lots of countries in europe are to prove how many people there are and stuff like that because they, they can't like say hey here's an address list of all the people that signed up and like pay maybe a monthly fee or something like that they are our members what the state church could do so it's not as accepted that you say hey we have like 4,000 people sitting in our chairs every Sunday because you can't really prove that other than like making a picture of it. Um, yeah, so that that makes it harder or makes the, depending on who you're talking to in Europe, you might hear different things. You know, it's, it's very interesting. I'm glad that you, that you went into as much detail as you did because it really does speak to the fact that, you know, even despite... Europe and the United States being like westernized countries, there is yeah. a huge difference. Like we don't yeah. have a state church. It might be a, a Christian, like a, a largely Christian culture, mm -hmm. but that also means that there are a lot of what I would describe as cultural Christians, people who yeah. go out of a sense of obligation and they don't mm -hmm. really internalize it. And so it's, so it's such a foreign. So when people hear, when Americans hear that, Oh, the church is on the decline in Europe it of course it doesn't occur to them that the official organization of the church that people yeah. would go to purely not purely but mostly out of obligation uh that that is on the decline most people i think would would say that's a good thing that yeah. somebody making faith personal to themselves mm -hmm. and something that they actively choose as opposed to something that they feel they don't have much choice in attending. Uh, I think most Americans would say that is a net positive. Um, mm -hmm. So when people talk about the church, it means a very different thing where you are as opposed to where I am. And yeah. so I, I, that is something I find genuinely fascinating. Um, and so uh, at what point in your life, because you said you were raised by, uh, you know, ex-hippies yeah. who became Christians. Uh, yeah. My dad, my dad was the same way. He was a hippie in the 60s and 70s. And yeah. then, you know, there's a little surge in the Jesus movement in the 70s. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, but at what, you know, but just because you're raised in a Christian family doesn't mean that you are that, or at least you don't fully understand what it is. So like at what point in your life did you decide you wanted to make this more real? Uh, or maybe it wasn't a decision. Maybe it just sort of, sort of faded in. Like that's kind of how I describe mine. Like when I was 16, my, I believed this stuff, but it didn't become real until, and it just kind of faded in over the course of like a year when yeah. I was a teenager. Yeah. A little bit like similar to that. So, um, my dad became, quite sick um when i was probably like 11 ish um and then like also he was like really unhappy with his work he was working for some christian organizations but also like before as like artists before that working like more in the secular world he was not especially at that time which was like the late 90s or early no there was a beginning early 90s early 90s um the especially like in germany the christian world was very behind especially when it comes to artistic expressions or to being mm -hmm. modern and things like that it was still like super old school and he was not flourishing in that environment um so he was a bit um not disgruntled but like it was maybe a bit sobering or something like that or the passion he had at the beginning was kind of like maybe uh, coming down just just a little bit realizing how hard it is to bring those ideas uh, and this passion into the christian um world in germany at that time um, so after a while we started like attending church only every other week and then mm -hmm. maybe once a month and then not at all anymore, um, which wasn't like really, 
conscious decision, it kind of it kind of faded out at that point. And then I, my whole like, well, most of my teenage years, I then spent not, and like we didn't, it was kind of like not a very alive church that we attended at that point anyway. So my brother and I always like were just wondering, hey, all our friends can like play, go to the swimming pool on the Sunday, and we have to like always like hang out in this like super boring church in the morning. Um, so we didn't enjoy it anyway. So it was for us, it was more like a relief and more like, hey, cool, now we have the Sundays to do fun stuff. Um, and then I was very, uh, I, I really liked to experiment a lot in my teenage years. So I, I never um, had to like rebel against my parents, which can be actually annoying if you are kind of a rebel at heart and your parents sure. are totally understanding and like open <laughs> for you experimenting and doing stuff. And I, more like talking to you about like the moral implications of what, of what you're doing, but like never like punishing you or like really telling you you are not allowed to do that. Um, which probably was exactly right for me, but like sometimes I probably wished I could have rebelled against my parents, sure. especially as like an artist or an actor, like you sometimes see, oh, I, it would be good in my repertoire to have something like that to then be able to portray it. But um, yeah, I guess I don't, I, I should be very glad and thankful and I am that my upbringing was at least like the part of my parents was incredible. They were super awesome. So you've, um, play, still, you've just played, you've just played a roster of well-adjusted, well-loved characters. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yeah, so I still wanted to try like lots of stupid stuff. Um, so I did kind of all the dumb things like lots of teenagers go through or try or probably even like a lot more than most people try or do, um, which was, yeah, super dumb. But yeah, I don't know. It, was, it just like felt right that, oh no, that, that's the thing. So I did all those things, but it never felt right. Um, and I always like had a feeling that uh, I wasn't like actually happy with that. I, at the one yeah. hand, wanted to try and make experiences. And on the other hand, I knew it was, it was actually not right and not good for me. Um, and I had a problem with that somehow. And I knew I never wanted to tell my parents that I'm doing that stuff, not because they would forbid it or anything, but I, because I didn't want to like hurt them or worry them or anything like that. So I, at some point, like realized, hey, if I know myself that what I'm doing isn't right, and if I'm not feeling right about it myself, why am I actually doing it? Um, which was then, yeah, towards the end of my teenage years. And that's when I realized, hey, um, I do have some kind of a moral compass after all. And that is coming from the Christian part of my upbringing um, when I was very young. Um, and I do actually believe in God, which no. I probably would have declined at like certain stages in my teenage years. But then I realized I actually, whenever there was real trouble, I did pray. Um, mm. it, it more kind of like came out of me. It was not as much that I then sat down and thought about it much, but whenever there was real trouble, I did pray. It was just like happening. So I, yeah. once I realized that, that that is actually part of, of what I believe and um, who I am, I started pursuing that more. And then also over the course of maybe half a year or so, it, it, it I realized or I, I more unveiled it because I realized it mm. was already there in my life. I just hid it under something. And then I started to taking off the covers and the sheet to yeah. fully embrace the Christianity or my faith that was already within me. And so you know, jumping back into uh, your your decision to pursue um, artistic endeavors, pursue filmmaking. Um, how would you describe your your career? Uh, anybody who is Facebook friends with you, I was joking about this beforehand. Uh, anybody that's Facebook friends with you is like, I, I can't get a handle on this guy. On one hand, he's making a music video. 
and then over here he's he seems to be acting in some kind of church production yeah. or something and then he's uh teaching some kind of class yeah. and so uh you seem to uh be uh doing a lot so yeah. what would you say what would you say your primary professional title would be if i have to like actually like sure. one like title i would say director okay. but uh, because that's paying the majority of the bills um but i'm all those other things as well and i love that it's actually kind of yeah who i am what's really important to me i get bored like very easily so that's probably why i do so many different things because i love the writing i love that like one day i do this and then the next day i do something completely different um and usually they inspire each other so usually when i get stuck in like one discipline i do something else yeah. that kind of like un uh blocks that so that i can get ahead in the other discipline again as well um so it also usually helps and it's actually really good for me to keep the flow and all the other things as well so it doesn't really scatter me i actually feel it's helping me to focus in each individual thing more um it's the same with like listening i i usually do good when I have like some something fidgety that I can do like when I'm really like trying to listen and focus on something um, or like when I listen to a talk, I might like just do something not very difficult, like playing solitaire or something like that on the side because I know that keeps my brain like focused on what I'm actually listening to because if I just try to listen, then my brain will go anywhere. Um, uh, man, I hear you a hundred percent. It's <laughs> like, it's crazy. Um, like if I'm at church, which thankfully, well, not thankfully, but, but I haven't been lately. So I watch my, yeah. I watch, I watch the sermon online, which yeah. is like, well, now I can play this game on my phone. And oddly enough, someone looking at that would say, oh, he's distracted. It's like, no, mm -hmm. no, no. I'm infinitely more focused on what yes, I am 100%. hearing because now my eyes are being taken care of and my, which frees up my ears. Yes, um, exactly. Many years ago, I was, a, I was a photo editor and I would just turn stuff on, whether it be a sermon or a podcast or whatever it is, I would turn that on and before you know, A, it would make the photo editing go way faster, yeah. but then also uh, I, I was surprised how much I was able to retain from mm -hmm. the thing that I was listening to. So yes, I totally get what you mean. I'm excited that you're uh, the same way because yeah. not everybody <laughs> understands. Yeah, uh, and people can be judgmental, like you said before, when they like see you and stuff like that and then see, hey, he has like this game like on the side during his work, what are you doing yeah. there? It's like, no, no, it helps me to focus. And it's, it's, it's also one of those things where, you know, I'm in my late thirties now. And when yeah. I am playing like this game on my phone while listening to something and listening intently to it, I do have this thought. It's like, what am I five? Like I judge myself <laughs> as well. So yeah, it's uh, so that's very exciting that you said that. Um, and yeah, and it also makes sense that of course, like as an, as an actor, if you're yeah. directing something, those two will inform each other, even if you're not yeah. acting in your own project. Like yeah. everything does kind of come together. And especially yeah. if you're a director, a director uh, essentially is in charge of, not necessarily the, the one that's doing everything, but is in charge of everything. So having a working yeah. knowledge of all of these different aspects of, yeah. of filmmaking uh, makes a huge difference. Um, and the same and, with like teaching, which sure. like you said I also do. Um, I mean, there's this like saying that people that can do they teach. Um, but, but for me, it's like awesome because lots of things until you 
like actually like verbalize them until you explain to someone else what you are doing. I feel like I haven't really fully grasped it myself. But by explaining it to someone, I actually gain a deeper knowledge of what, what it is that I am doing and how I'm doing it. And then I can replicate it way easier the next time myself. So I feel like I'm like more often than not kind of like almost like more teaching myself as well whilst I'm, while some people are watching me doing that. Um, so that as well is like really, really helpful for me to get better at my craft because I think more intently about what I'm doing. And maybe I'm a little bit more on my heels of, I should do it kind of like in the, in the right way because people are watching me because I'm also teaching sure. it. So it's really helpful. There is. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm fairly new to the world of, of teaching. I'm sorry to keep coming back to myself, but a lot of the stuff that you're saying, it resonates no, uh, in a way. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I'm fairly new to teaching myself. And before that, uh, I was a film critic and of course, people say the exact same thing about critics that they do about teachers, which is you do this because you can't do the thing itself. And yet, I mean, some of the best filmmakers out there started as film critics, especially uh, during the French new wave in the 1960s. And I do think that there is something to be said, not to suggest that, uh, that every film professor or whatever, or, or film critic can do that. But I'm also not super surprised that critics have made good filmmakers because having having to put, like you said, having to put things into words, mm-hmm. uh, where other people can just, where frankly, even, even the most diehard film fans, if they're not required to express why something works, they may mm-hmm. not be able, they may not be intellectually aware of why it works yeah. and they might not be able to translate that into actually making something work, uh, yeah. as a film if they decide to, uh, to direct. And so what kind of stuff, I know that you've, you've done a lot of, uh, music videos. Yeah. Uh, I know that you won uh, a big award at the international Christian film festival yeah. from, for best music video. Um, at that that's, that's how I think of you, not necessarily primarily, but that's what I'm mostly mm-hmm. familiar with. So what kind of stuff as a director, uh, what kind of stuff do you, do you make? Um, lots of like documentary style things as mm-hmm. well. So be it like a featurette or mini documentaries or TV programs. Um, I also like worked for a German TV channel for, for a while um, before I went out to Australia and now again um, working on like several TV programs um, for a TV channel or for um, a Christian movement here um, mm-hmm. that is broadcasting on secular TV channels, Christian TV channels all across Europe. Um, so that that's a huge part of that, but then also kind of promo videos, trailers for um, different kinds of organizations, um, also doing like some writing for similar content. So either I'm directing it or I'm writing it, which is a great uh, side income because for that I don't, I can, like schedule it into my evenings or on the weekends yeah. um, don't have to leave the house for that. It's a uh, super awesome, like thing to do on the side. And um, yeah, that, that's kind of like probably like the main things I'm working yeah. on. Um, and then every once in a while when there's an opportunity or I have an itch that I need to scratch uh, doing some short film work and still mm-hmm. definitely really dreaming about doing feature work in the future. Yeah. Um, and how like how in, i mean of course a person's faith is an is an umbrella i mean it covers it covers everything that they do so much so that even if somebody would not even if a filmmaker might not might not uh, count themselves as a christian filmmaker mm-hmm. 
their faith is still going to play a role, whether even if they don't want it to, even if they don't want it to. And so, um, so I'm curious, like, what, how, how big of a role actively uh, does your faith play in the stuff that you that you make? Yeah, what you said describes it pretty well. That it is informing my worldview, and therefore, usually, the worlds that I'm portraying or writing. Um, so that so it plays a huge role, a very active yeah. role. And I I am working like a lot for Christian organizations um, and churches. So they have, that work obviously has to sure. fulfill like certain language and lingo and Christianese at some <laughs> points if I have to, um, and all those kinds of things. So it uh, does play yeah, a very large role. Is that occasionally at the risk of, uh, you know, burning some bridge? Is that occasionally frustrating having Ooh, to no. to fill that? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> very frustrating. Because, okay. I mean, it, it can be very, I think... I, I do, I am quite good in like uh, convincing people and being like political and going the right channel so that I can uh, convince others of my vision, um, which is very, very helpful and necessary. So that at the end or knowing which battles to fight and then doing a compromise here where I feel not very passionate about anyways, but this thing here that actually I feel very strongly about, I can then actually get through. Um, so it's kind of like sometimes, I don't know, like um, going over eggshells or something like that, treading really carefully, um, but it's usually worth it. I still like love working with those people, even though it can be very frustrating, but if yeah. I realize, hey, um, I might be able to really help them, even if it's just in a teeny tiny way and just like one tiny step in a way that's still like very long in front of them, um, I would have done a good thing in getting them to think maybe a bit more um, openly about different choices, opportunities, ways, how things could be done or how things maybe are. Um, Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's good to know that that aspect, not that I work in the Christian film industry, but I know enough people that do. And it's nice to know that there's that aspect uh, universally that uh, Christians who are the creative side and then the ones that are the, the money um, clash occasionally um, by occasionally, I mean, frequently, um, if not constantly. And so, um, okay, well, I'm curious, uh, what would you, cause you know, you sent me some, some stuff that you've directed. And so I was, uh, specifically like, uh, music video related things. And so I was curious, uh, where, where can people find your stuff? Uh, like online, do you have like one centralized location or is it just sort of spread over various sites and and channels and stuff? It's spread over various sites and channels. Although like where lots of information and then also potentially links to projects are would be IMDB or LinkedIn. Um, so they're good points to specifically look me up and then going to content that I created. Um, yeah, but I, this point i don't have any centralized hub or website where okay. everything easily is um, accessible and available okay. so now the 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 question is this what are some of your favorite movies um because of my acting background i love stuff that kind of like is mostly really based on acting so i sure. love like uh richard Linklater's most workers of him because it's it's awesome it's just like two people talking for like one and a half hours and lots of 
my friends think it's crazy boring, but I like I, I'm completely in love and in awe of movies like that, um, where or like uh, Tom Hardy's Lock uh, movie, oh, yeah. where he's sitting in a car for like 90 minutes and talking <laughs> over like his free speaker, like with like all his people. Absolutely insane. Like I, I love stuff like that where it's very story and actor driven. Where um, yeah, it all involves about like one clever idea or one moment in time yeah. that. Um, I feel like has been captured so well and can relate with um, that that stuff that I definitely love. But I also love like stuff like the first Matrix definitely really um, changed my like. That's probably one of the things where I decided I want to do stuff like that. I want to like blow people's mind, uh, tell crazy things, open their eyes somehow to some like bigger reality. You know that really spoke to me and really inspired me to pursue a career into this direction. Um, yeah. that is definitely that is usually the the next question that I ask so this segues into it because of course there's whether it be a director or a film there are the there are inspirations and there are influences yeah. you know what I mean and so uh, you know I have friends who who love you know the the works of David Lean but they're like I, I have no intention of making a three and a half hour uh, <laughs> uh, biographical epic I'm not going to be doing that so yeah. I love that it's it, you know that these friends will say like I love that it really inspires me but when mm -hmm. the time comes to make a movie it's much closer to a Richard Linklater something a little bit smaller yeah, exactly. and so um but yeah, but it's always interesting to hear the movies because everybody, who, you know what, whether it be in criticism or filmmaking, whatever it is, everybody has like those handful of movies that they can point to usually when they're a teenager and they say that, that resonates, like other people seem to like it, but for some reason, this is like a real, for lack of a better term, come to Jesus moment for me. And this is a thing I, this is the, this movie's literally setting me on this path. Yeah. And so so for you it's it's the matrix i have to assume you also love the sequels this is a loaded question <laughs> i mean, i actually don't hate them as much as other people do <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah let's keep it with that there you go yeah I, the second one has its moments certainly um I mean, it has a promise like because it's like completely open so you at the end of it especially when you watch it the first time there was no third part yet it's completely yeah. like what is this where is this going so it, it still could have ended differently or uh, it, it was exciting definitely and then like yeah then came the third and there's a fourth now coming isn't there i've been hearing about that for a long time who's to say um yeah. you know the wachowskis have ne have not yet had a full-on hit since the major like they made speed racer yeah. they made cloud atlas oh boy they made jupiter ascending uh <laughs> i do i did actually like me for vendetta though i thought that that was quite a good one uh, yeah, they produced it though. They didn't direct it. I don't remember who directed it, but I don't think it was them. Oh, I think okay. they produced it. Uh, okay. and you know what? That's, that doesn't surprise me. I feel like sort of like a George Lucas. I feel like they're mm -hmm. very, very good producers, mm -hmm. not maybe the best directors, even though there are things about cloud Atlas, cloud Atlas that I really adore. Yeah, um, yeah. but yeah, no, that is interesting actually that matrix reloaded and matrix revolutions because they are essentially seen as one film, the mm -hmm. badness of the third one yeah. winds up being retroactive and people think of the second one as being worse than it actually is. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
but yeah, but oh, for and and I I found myself being a little bit thematically frustrated with it because it uh, kind of muddied the waters a little bit. But I remember, yeah, seeing Matrix uh, Reloaded in college and be like, man, oh man, this is really exciting, uh, yeah. if not a bit confusing at times. And yeah. then of course that excitement was just completely doused <laughs> by that third one. Um, okay, so uh, so what else what else uh, did you see when you were when you were younger, or even now? that like inspires you and you think, yes, this is what I want to be, to be doing in some capacity. Um, like in, in general, I'm not ashamed of that. Um, uh, like we say, like build very close to the water uh, when it comes to movies. So I tear very easily when the story is good. Okay. Um, so like anything that makes me cry, I usually really like. Um, so like you said at the beginning, like uh, I also appreciate when other people make me feel worse through their work. <laughs> Um, yeah, sure, sure. So that's kind of like what I want to pay back <laughs> in a sense. Um, yeah, so I don't like when I saw like Gladiator the first time, also like mm. in the cinema, that completely blew me away. And I was so touched and also kind of like inspired and like that, like the story is able of um, just inflicting so many emotions, um, mm. like the excitement, the anger, or even like rage towards the emperor. Um, and like then like the sadness but in the same time kind of like joy because it's cool he's going back to his family but he's dying yeah. and stuff like that and he saved like the empire and so um that movie definitely like uh which is the only movie that but um it just like happened with like different like groups then going also to the cinema and everyone wanting to see that that i've seen three times in the cinema yeah. um but yeah that, that that was a great one that's also was one of those probably defining moments where I really realized um, not as much the filmmaking, there was really the matrix, but Gladiator was definitely the, the whole like aspect of art storytelling. And uh, yeah. um, at that point for me, still more the theater um, that pushed me also into this direction and just wanting to get emotions out and getting people to feel stuff. Yeah, there's definitely a theatricality. And I don't mean just from seeing in the theater. I mean, like, actual seeing like live theater there's a there's a, a performative theatrical aspect to, to gladiator i actually re rewatched it recently i've i've never been a huge fan of it honestly but in watching it ag again one thing that i really appreciate that i don't think i quite realized at the time the movie takes a long time to quote unquote get going like it takes it really takes its time and i say that in a good way it takes its time introducing the characters introducing maximus and marcus aurelius and commodus yeah. like and and you know the, the scene between uh uh commodus and and his father yeah it's like a five or six or seven minute scene between yeah. two characters and you know i, I don't want to be one of these people that says things were were better before especially because the movie's only 20 years old yeah. but I do think of like big, even big, uh, like prestige action movies. And I don't think they would ever take that amount of time. Uh, mm -hmm. I feel like you, they'll give you maybe five minutes to, to establish the characters. And then the, the story is off and running. Whereas gladiator, they really want to introduce you to the characters and the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think, you know, that's something I feel like Ridley Scott as a director has gotten a little bit worse over the years. Uh, mm -hmm. But when you look at his best movies, like in my opinion, alien and yeah. blade runner yes. and then stuff like gladiator, like he's really good at building a world when he's got mm -hmm. a world to build. And I think gladiator absolutely fits. Um, it's a film that I still don't necessarily love, but upon watching it again, 
for probably the third or fourth time. Um, I really appreciate a lot more of what it's doing this time around. Um, have you, have you seen any movies lately? I recognize that, I don't know if, if movie theaters are closed where you are. They certainly are here. Uh, so I haven't seen a movie since March and the movie I saw was birds of prey, which I didn't love. Um, but, uh, but have you, have you gotten a chance to see anything lately in the theater or at home? I know you have multiple children, so maybe that uh, hampers yeah. things a bit. It does. So <laughs> it's, it's not that often that I get to go into the, into the cinema anymore, but, um, and the last one I've seen was Onward, um, Pixar's Onward, um, which I love, but I'm very biased I, because my brother works for Pixar. Oh, um, all right. And I was actually at the uh, rap party in uh, San Francisco to celebrate with the whole staff of Pixar. Oh, wow. Um, because it's a movie about brotherhood. So um, and they always do those awesome things when they have their rap parties that they kind of fitting the theme of the movie, do something. And there was really like a theme to get your brother there and to celebrate mm. um, the, the movie. Um, with your brother so I, I was there as a brother and it was absolutely amazing and lovely and like seeing then all those people that made the movie talking about how they made the movie in a very personal because it was like an internal way it wasn't like the like we're talking to the press kind of way about this movie so it's all about the, it being appealing or whatever it was like about we talked to our staff and like their close family about the movie so it was very honest genuine um that was like one definitely of my best experiences probably in my life um, it sounds like it, yeah. So I, I love that movie a lot, but um, I could not not love it. So <laughs> that, that, that that makes me biased, and I know that. But I still it could, it could have been Cars movie. Three, and you would have loved it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that, oh. that, that, that was that was the last one, and a good experience. And my kids loved it. Then recently, I watched it with them. They were also like really excited about it, which is a good sign because they wouldn't pretend to like it if they don't like it i would see it very very quickly they would just like <laughs> right. start like playing with things or like walking off um so they also liked it which is a good indicator that probably it is actually like a good movie that was just like many other movies this year just very unfortunate um yeah as to when it was released so it probably did not get the um at least monetary rewards it deserves actually and probably gets somewhat forgotten maybe because yeah nobody had a chance to properly watch it and like pay for yeah. it yeah i i mean it did get it got a release here in the states i got to the i, I went to the critic screening of it and one thing that fascinated me is a lot of people afterwards were saying like a lot of critics were saying like oh it's very good but it's sort of minor pixar and boy do i not agree i love that movie i think right. it's so I think it's so strong. I think it's not, I don't think it's minor Pixar. I think it's essential Pixar. I think it's yeah. like this idea of it's so brilliant. Like it sets you up from the main, from the perspective of the main character, it sets you up to want this one thing, which is yeah. reunion yeah. only to pivot and give you this other thing and have you be just as happy. Like yes. what uh, man, that's br it's brilliant writing. I really yeah. love that movie so much. Um, but at the same time, you know what, like similar to like, I went, I could bring a guest. I brought my wife and she, we yeah. both knew what it was about. And like, I have an older brother and a dead father. And so yeah. like, so she, she came knowing this is going to have an impact on me. And yeah. lo and behold, it did. Uh, yeah. So there are a couple of moments where I'm like, I don't want to cry in front of my, in front of my fellow critics, but I don't know what to do. Uh, yeah. And then thankfully she, you know, put her hand on my arm and stuff. Um, so uh, 
do you feel like as a, as a movie watcher, as a, uh, and as a filmmaker, actually, mm-hmm. do you feel like having children like impacts your, the way you approach movies? Like you, you hear about people who are parents and they wind up being very forgiving of movies because at least they got a chance to go out, you know, like they're, yeah. It just like, I don't care. The movie could be absolute crap, but I'm just happy to be away with my wife or my husband just for a day. And so do you feel like your, your perspective on film, both making and watching has changed since, uh, you know, having a family? Definitely did. Like, um, your whole personality changes a lot. Um, and your probably values change. So that, in itself will definitely change the kinds of stories you tell, how you tell them, um, and how you perceive certain things or how you can appreciate them. I would not appreciate any movie um, just because he, it kind of like gets me one and a half hours of silence if it's a bad movie. Sure. <clears throat> but like recent, oh, excuse me. <clears throat> recently my kids have discovered the High School Musical series, <laughs> which like I hated those movies so much when I like first saw them. But my kids love them. And now I understand why they love them and what they love them for. Like the characters are quite lovable. Like, like I can understand how you can be sympathetic towards them and how like it's, it's very simple, but for someone whose world is still somewhat small, sure. it makes perfect sense to focus on this very unrealistic world and their very unrealistic problems and things like that. And um, it makes sense. It paints like a, very small but understandable pictures like like drawing after numbers or something like that it's very easy mm-hmm. to do for someone who can't really draw yet um but makes sense to them and then they can achieve some conclusion or something at the end that they can be proud of or that, that makes sense to them so i do appreciate those movies now way more than i used to because i see what they're good for they're still not great movies and they're still not good writing but like they, they were not meant anyways to appeal to me. So I'm not that target audience. So I think they did a good job in creating something very specifically for that one target audience. Like everyone out there, like it's not meant to love it. So they're, they're easy with me hating it um, because it wasn't meant for me. Um, and my kids do love it and it was meant for them to love it. So they, they did a good job and I can, I was not able to appreciate that like 12 years or so ago when they were made, but I am able to appreciate that now. Yeah, that's something, uh, there's a, a stand-up comedian that I, that I know who, um, I remember one time he was doing a, a set and he, his person, his onstage persona is like a lot of, uh, a lot of crowd work and then also being a little bit grumpy as well. <laughs> and so, uh, he brought up a movie that essentially was meant for like younger, like, you know, a younger audience or whatever. It might've been like something having to do with those minions or whatever. And, uh, and like people in the crowd, like groaned and he immediately interrupted what he was saying. And he goes, they're not for you. These movies are not for you, you know? And, and it's, it's, I remember, and I don't, I don't have children, but I remember that that struck me is that like, there is a, there's an argument to be made that not every movie is for every person, whether it be kids movies, not being for adults, but also like, you know, I'm not a big fan of slasher movies, but then they're not for me. You know, they're for fans, very much for fans of slasher movies. Uh, and that is practically their religion, those people. Uh, I don't mean to say those people as though uh, slasher yeah. movie fans are all the same, except they kind of are. Um, anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, so 
Okay. Well, this has been very interesting. I, do you feel like, do you feel like you, you have any kind of advice for anybody Christian or otherwise, but we can talk about Christian specifically who are looking to pursue and let's, let's talk about it in a vacuum right now. Cause if we start trying to adapt to the current uh, uh, lockdown situation, uh, then it's like, okay, well, nobody can do anything anyway. So putting that yeah. aside, do you feel like you have any kind of advice for a Christian looking to either make it in the film industry or looking to just express themselves creatively? Absolutely. Um, so one thing is like for years and lots of people like that are like film buffs and like love movies and love like watching content, stuff like that, do that. They ingest lots of content, mm -hmm. but that does not necessarily do anything for you. Just because you watch like hours and hours of movies, you will not become a movie maker and you will not become any better for it. But once you really start, and it can be a bit annoying, um, being more intentional about watching stuff and actually using things that you're seeing there and then really like archiving that, that's when you will actually start gaining from that and will potentially become better. Once you really realize, oh wow, this like the, the way how the camera is tracking here, that is amazing because it really supports the story and it tells something here and I really felt like I was there or something like that. So you archive that, you save that in some way, uh, make a screenshot, write it down um, and, and really start over a certain amount of time to really get a repertoire. I mean, right now in a lockdown, that's the, the one main thing that everyone is doing and can be doing like is watching stuff and like getting inspiration to then be like ready and loaded once the lockdown is over and they can really go out and make stuff again. So I would really use that time, but intentionally. So not just ingesting for like no reason because it will, after a little while you have forgotten it all and it's not there anymore. Sorry. And it's not there anymore. But once you really like go in there, write down stuff down, uh, save stuff, um, then you can work with that. And that's the same, like whenever there's a deadline, and I, like tomorrow or so, and I have to find like a clever or cool idea to make this work. Like I, I try to Google, I try to YouTube Vimeo or whatever, and I don't, <clears throat> I don't find anything awesome. Like I hate everything that I'm seeing and finding. So the, the one thing how you can actually break through that is by all the time, like watching and like archiving stuff. So yeah. that when then there is the deadline coming, you go, you don't have to go through all the stuff out there. You go through the stuff that you already know you like, that you already saved some before great use of font, great color correction, great storytelling, great, whatever, go through there. See, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. This, doesn't, ah, this, this could work here. Um, to not like rip it off, but to be inspired by it and to see how can I use what I've seen here and what I liked in a way that's me and it really fits this project. Yeah. Um, Jolly Goodard said it's not where you take things from, but where you take them to. So I think that's, that, that's one of the big secrets. Use this time, watch stuff, but intentionally archive all the good things to then be ready to ingest them into your projects in the future. Yeah, I, it's... Uh, I I think what you're what you're talking about is very important because while I think it is important to really inundate yourself with film you also want to have some level of discernment you know like if you I do consider film to be its own kind of language and every different element of film is like a different type of punctuation or whatever it is and yeah. if you punctuate incorrectly the meaning of the sentence is completely changed and yeah. so if you 
if you're going to go learn a language now granted you can absolutely go to the country that speaks that language and you'll start to pick up you'll start to pick it up but not as much as if you were to also be actively studying the language and you know with purpose like you're talking about so watch a lot of stuff and even you know what even watch the bad stuff because you never know what could uh what could trigger something yeah, but at the same time not to do it yeah well yeah there's that too also from an acting standpoint one of my my, my favorite actor is robert duvall and he's been in some he's been in some bad movies but you know what he's always reliable uh you can go see the sixth day with arnold schwarzenegger i wouldn't recommend it but if you did you would see a really great supporting performance by robert duvall uh so that you know sometimes there's there's one good element even in the bad in the largely bad film and so but it, but it requires a level of discernment and a level of of really searching for the value of of something so that you can learn to yep. speak that language. So I think, I think what you're talking about makes a great deal of sense. It, it's uh, you know, and you know what, sometimes you can rip somebody off as long as you do it stylistically, then you wind Absolutely. up like, like Quentin Tarantino, who yeah. I think is an absolute genius, but boy, and he is very openly, let's say influenced by other filmmakers. Yeah, um, but uh, anyway, so, okay. Uh, so we'll go ahead and leave it there. Uh, Andreas, thank you so much for uh, being a part of this. I do hope that, uh, that listeners got uh, a lot out of what you were saying about being a filmmaker, being a Christian uh, in a, in another country. So um, listeners, if you have any questions, you're welcome to email me Tyler at more than one lesson.com. You can follow us on Twitter at more lessons and you can like us on Facebook Um just search for more than one lesson. And then uh, don't forget to check out my documentary, Real Redemption, The Rise of Christian Cinema, which is available on faithlifetv.com. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was nominated for Best Director, but I didn't win. So you've got that, you've got that over me, uh, Andreas. <laughs> anyway uh, okay but yes thank you everybody for listening thank you once again Andreas for being here and we will get you next time bye bye